So Revelation chapter 3. Again, my name is David. I'm glad that you guys are here. Um, we've been looking at Revelation. Remember chapter 2 and 3, it's seven individual messages written to the seven churches that John was told to address. But even though the, these messages are personalized to a particular church, they're applicable to everyone. At the end of each message, we hear this command, whoever has ears hear what the Spirit is saying to the church is, plural. So there's something for us here. In this letter we're going to look at today, the church in Sardis, I think is most analogous to us here in Marietta. I think the circumstances, at least as I understand them in Sardis, are the most similar to the circumstances that we find ourselves in here. And so we want to make sure that we're paying attention to what Jesus would say to us. A couple of things about Sardis that come through in the letter. One, they had this, uh, they had an, there was an Acropolis 800 feet north of the city. And it was up on a cliff, and it was their refuge. It had been a, their city had been attacked many times, but this thing was seen to be impenetrable. Nobody could get in. Nobody could overthrow it. And so they were known for that. They had this, uh, there, there were these burial mounds. It was called a necropolis, uh, the, the cemetery of a thousand hills. So if you were in the city, if you looked out, you could see these massive burial mounds. And they were also rich, and they were rich from dyeing wool red. They said they were the first city to figure out how to dye wool. And so they, made red, they dyed red wool, and they made garments with this red wool, and it made them rich, and it made them famous. And so as we're reading, you may be able to think through some of the imagery that Jesus uses and why he is doing that. So we're going to start here, chapter 3. Let me read the whole letter to you. To the angel of the church in Sardis write... These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you've received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you don't wake up, I will come like a thief, and you won't know what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who've not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they're worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So remember we said there's a template. All these letters follow the same template. Huge exception here with Sardis. They don't get any encouragement. One of only two churches that Jesus doesn't find anything praiseworthy to say. No commendation from him. It's all a, a, a call to repent. So Jesus describes himself in ways that are applicable to the church that he's addressing. In this case, he says, I'm the one that holds the seven spirits of God. That's the Holy Spirit. Seven being a number symbolic of completeness. Your Bible may say the sevenfold Spirit of God. He holds the Holy Spirit, and he holds the seven stars. And those stars are the angels of the churches. He tells us that in chapter 1. So he holds the Holy Spirit, and he holds the angel of this church in his hand. And I think what he's saying is, like, I'm, I'm holding your fate in my hand. You know, their issue is they have a reputation that does not align with reality. They think, and people think they're spiritually alive. God looks at them and says... You're on life support at best. At best, you're on life support. And I think Jesus is saying, I'm the, I'm, it, I'm the one that's holding this thing 
in my hands. The Holy Spirit's the one that brings dead things to life and Jesus gives. And I think he's saying he can withdraw and an angel in the Bible is a messenger or a protector. And if he withdraws that angel who's in his hands, then the church is done. It's a strong word. And then again, there's no encouragement. And he jumps straight into a rebuke. And again, the, 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 the picture, the idea is there's, there's a disconnect between what people think about the church in Sardis and what God thinks about the church in Sardis. The people in Sardis, and the, they have a reputation for being spiritually alive, and Jesus is probably saying, look at all those burial mounds out there. Y'all are a lot closer to that than you think. You're a lot closer to those guys than you realize. You're on life support. Your works are unfinished. He doesn't tell us what that means. Your Bible may say not complete. It doesn't, he doesn't tell us. He doesn't give us any detail on what it means for a work to be unfinished. I don't think it's that they didn't do enough things. They weren't, whatever it was they were doing, they weren't, they weren't doing to God's satisfaction. Again, he doesn't tell us exactly what that means. But he does say, here's what you need to do about it. And he gives them a pretty, like four or five things that they need to do. It's not a hopeless situation, but, it's, but they're, they're in trouble. And they need to change some things. And so he says to them, first, wake up or be watchful. That Acropolis, you see a picture of it there on top of that cliff. Again, it was thought to be impregnable. And so if, there was, if the city was under attack, that's where everybody would go when they would take refuge. But twice in the history of Sardis... An enemy had sent somebody up that cliff, and they'd climb the wall, and they'd open the gates, and the city was overrun and overtaken. In 549 B.C. and again in 216 B.C., same thing happened twice. You can imagine if your job was to watch that wall, how bored would you be? Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, month after month. Nobody's coming up that cliff. They don't have repelling gear. It would be easy to fall asleep. It would be easy to get distracted. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, it's happened. Y'all took a lot of comfort in this fortress that you have. But remember, in your history, twice you fell asleep at the wheel. Twice you lost your edge and you were overrun. You need to wake up. Be watchful. Again, complacency, it's this sense of smugness. It's being overly content with your state. And that's what he's saying to them. Y'all are overly content. You're overly satisfied with where you are. And just like somebody climbed up that cliff and jumped the wall, y'all need to be alert. Your reputation and your reality don't line up. Strengthen what remains. Again, there's a little word of hope there. Something remains. Strengthen it. To, that, that's an internal word. To strengthen is to to, to solidify or to firm up someone's convictions or their beliefs or their values. It makes me think that the church is compromised. You may not think that. What I hear is the church is compromised. As we read, there's no internal threat. The, the letters that we've read up to this point, there's either some, there's false teachers or there's heresy within the church or there's persecution in the city. There's either an internal threat or an external threat. Sardis has neither. There's not an internal threat, and there's not an external threat, and they've gotten spiritually complacent. They've gotten lazy. 
And what Jesus is saying is you need to strengthen what remains. You need to firm up your commitments. They're compromising with the culture at large. We live in the Bible Belt. That's a word to us. Strengthen what remains. And he says, remember what you received. What did they receive? The Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And remember what you heard. What did they hear? The gospel of the kingdom. And then he says, hold fast to that. Guard that. Protect that. They've gotten, again, they've gotten casual with what they've received, the Holy Spirit, and what they've heard, the gospel of the kingdom. I wonder, I'm thinking, uh, kind of projecting our situation onto theirs. It may not fit, but I think about for us, kind of in the world religious culture that we live in, pray a prayer. Pray the sinner's prayer. Pray the salvation prayer. Check the box and you're good. That's what God cares about, the forgiveness of your sins, and then your eternal destination is secure, and you can go about being a good person, living your life. I'm wondering if the people in Sardis, if that's, if that's what they were doing, if they lost sight of the fact that the, the living God had taken up residence within them and was empowering them to a life beyond themselves, and that the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of the forgiveness of sins, that the forgiveness of sins is the means to an end, that what Jesus died for was to reconcile us to the Father, was to make it possible so that the Father could adopt us into his family as sons and daughters, and then to send us out on a mission in the world. And if they lost sight of that, because they lived in a city where there's no internal threat and no external threat. And everybody's okay. And they lost their spiritual vitality. Jesus says at the end, the love of many will grow cold. And I'm wondering if that's what happened to the church in Sardis. Because they didn't have to be vigilant about their faith. Their faith was never under attack. They, it didn't cost them anything. And through benign neglect, their love began to grow cold. And Jesus says, you've got to repent. You've got to change directions. For them, it's not necessarily a new direction. It's walking back in an old direction. The most fundamental thing Jesus ever says uh, to, to people is, follow me. That's the basis. That's the heart of his invitation. And when he says that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's literal. He spent three years walking a thousand miles. So you had to keep up with him. You literally had to follow him. And he still says that to us, but we don't, he's not physically among us now, visibly. And so we can lose sight of what it means to follow him. And we can think to follow him just means to believe a, a few things in our mind. But he's actually on the move and he's looking for people who are moving with him. And it's easy to start walking really slow. And there's this gap that grows and then to get distracted. And what Jesus says to the church in Sardis is, you guys need to repent, you need to realign with me and you need to catch up with what I'm doing. And if, and if you don't, I'm coming. I'm coming and you're, I don't want to be surprised by Jesus if he's judging me. That doesn't sound enjoyable. He's not talking about the second coming there. The second coming is not tied to whether Sardis repents or not. He's talking about some judgment that he doesn't explain. If y'all don't repent, I'm coming. And he's coming to judge them. And you're not going to know when. And then he gives this word to the overcomers. Again, all is not lost. There's a few, which is sad, but it's better than none. There's a few who haven't soiled their clothes. Remember, they made, they made clothes. That would speak to them. There's a few of you who haven't so soiled your clothes. You haven't compromised 
with the city at large, with your culture at large. You're, you're, you'll, you'll wear white, symbolic of clothes that are appropriate for the kingdom of God. You're going to walk with me, that idea of ongoing relationship. And to everyone who overcomes, or your Bible may say to everyone who's victorious, you'll get the same thing. You're going to get these same white clothes. You're going to be dressed in a way that's appropriate for the kingdom of God. And I'm never going to blot your name out from the book of life. For some people, that kind of gives you heartburn. You think, oh, my name can get blotted out of the book of life? I thought once it was written in there, I was good. And there's absolutely a school of thought that says once you're saved, you're always saved, and you can believe that 100%. I see salvation as essentially relationship, reconciled relationship. And there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Jesus, Romans 8. No one can snatch us from Jesus' hand. Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. The Father, his love is secure and it's eternal. You can put your full weight of your life upon it. And yet, you can walk away. You can walk away just like you can every other relationship you're in. You can choose to walk away. And if you do, then he'll blot your name out. Not because it's what he wanted, but because it's what you wanted. And I think that's what's happening to the church in Sardis. There were people who had legitimately begun to follow Jesus. And for whatever reason, they stopped. They quit. Their clothes are now soiled. And they're in danger of having their name blotted out of the book of life. And again, it has nothing to do with the sufficiency of Jesus' death and resurrection. It has nothing to do with God's deep love for them. It has nothing to do with God's ability or desire to hold all of those who are his. Those of you who have kids, your kids can wriggle out of your grip. And I think that's what he's saying. Some of y'all are wriggling out of my grip. And ultimately, he gives us what we want. And he says, I'll acknowledge you. If you overcome, that's never going to happen. You're not gonna, your name's not going to be blotted out from this book. And, and I'll acknowledge you. That's a strong word. It's like testifying court. I'll acknowledge you before my Father who is in heaven. Think about Matthew 7. Many of you at the last day will come to me and say, you know, Lord, Lord, look at all the stuff we did. Prophesied, worked miracles, healed the sick, drove out demons. Look at all the stuff we did in your name. And I'm going to say, depart from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. I never knew you. And that's this church. They're in danger of that. And Jesus says, those who overcome, you never have to worry about that. You never have to worry about that. It's a strong word. And again, it can be kind of harsh to hear. I don't know if you hear Marietta in this, but I certainly do as a city in the Bible Belt. And there's some great things about being in the Bible Belt. For sure, I spent the last 10 days, I was in Scotland, I was in Germany, and I was in Bosnia. That's not the Bible Belt. It's not. Scotland and Germany are post-Christian. That's the direction that we're headed as a culture. It's already happening in the West Coast, some of the larger cities in the United States. We're just a holdout because we're the Bible Belt, a place where there was a Christian foundation and that's been erased. It's gone. And that's not blaming. It's, not, it's just the reality. Scotland is post-Christian. Germany is post-Christian. Sarajevo, where I was, is 80% Muslim. There are great things about being in the Bible Belt. But one of the difficulties and challenges about living in the Bible Belt is it's super easy to become nominal in our faith. It's super easy for us to get spiritually lazy, to become spiritually 
sleepy, to become complacent. There's not an inner threat, and there's not an external threat. And so it's super easy just to take our faith for granted. And we want to hear what the Spirit is saying to us this morning, and what He very well may be saying to us is to wake up. And He's saying that from a place of kindness. It's God's kindness that leads to repentance. And so we want to receive that and respond to his kindness. And so that's really the only question for you this morning. Is God saying to you, wake up, wake up. It's not too late. Strengthen what remains. Remember and hold fast to what you receive, the Holy Spirit who lives within you, the gospel of the kingdom, the fact that you've been adopted as a son or daughter of God and that he's sending you out in partnership with his spirit. To see his kingdom come and his will be done here as it is in heaven. Wake up. Why do we fall asleep? Why do we get spiritually sleepy? One, we get bored. Some of you in your most honest moments would say, my relationship with Jesus is boring. Dull. It's a duty. It's a discipline of anything. Research shows boredom leads to sleepiness. doesn't matter how much, how well-rested you are. If you're bored, you're going to get sleepy. That's why it happens to you in the meetings. It happens maybe here. <laughs> That's why we have coffee. Caffeine counteracts it. It's a chemical process. It's not hospitality. <laughs> it's to keep you awake. And some of you are bored. You're just bored. A long-term relationship is never a thrill a minute. That's Hollywood. That's not reality. However, in a long-term relationship, there should be life. There are times where it's your commitment and your discipline that keeps you together and that sees you through. Absolutely. That's why we, do, that's why we have make commitments. That's why we have discipline. But is there life? If I said, when was the last time you met Jesus? When was the last time you experienced his presence? When was the last time he surprised you? When was the last time you were just a little bit scared? In honor of being in Europe and all the hours I spent on a plane, I was reading through the Chronicles of Narnia. Y'all remember that, C.S. Lewis? And, and in those books, Aslan, he's a lion. He's the Jesus figure. And it's so interesting the way the kids, or kids in the book, talk about him. They would never say he's dull. When they see him, the word, and it's an old English word from the 50s, is he's terrible terrible. Not awful the way we mean it. Terrible as in he strikes fear, good fear in us. He's good, but he's never safe, they say. And for many of us, we've so domesticated Jesus. It's just boring. And it shouldn't be. So we're bored. Some of us, we're out of shape. For most of us, our life, so you mean physical parallel. If we didn't choose to exercise, our life would consist of sitting in a car and sitting in a chair and sitting on a couch. Like that would be it. We push a lot of buttons. That's what most of our, that's our exercise is we push buttons. We don't do anything physical. And over time, if that's how you live, then you, you at, your muscles atrophy. You're out of shape. And then when you need them, you don't have them. And spiritually, that's where many of us are. We're just out of shape. Again, we're not pushed. Nothing about Marietta is going to push you spiritually. Everybody's okay if you go, go to church. 
Everybody's okay if you read your Bible at Starbucks. That doesn't, there's no, there, that, that's not controversial. That doesn't require a whole lot of spiritual faith or muscle from you or from me. And we can atrophy. We're just out of shape. And we're also distracted. Jesus whispers to us while our culture yells at us. And we all, I would say, are tempted to, to fall on, into that tyranny of the urgent where the thing that screams the loudest gets our attention, and it's never Jesus. He whispers. He's never the squeaky wheel. He's always going to be there. My face always going to be there. I can get to that next week. I can get to that next month. I can get to that when the kids get out of the house. I can get to that when I retire. He's going to be there. He's kind, and he's gracious, and he's compassionate, and he knows I love him. We're distracted. That was a good word. Tracy gave from the Lord. We, we get distracted. And sometimes we've got to go through that tunnel just to help us refocus. So my question is, do you need to wake up this morning? And if so, will you acknowledge that? That could be a hard thing to do. Will you acknowledge that you've gotten spiritually sleepy? What can you do to wake up? Lots of things. A few for you to think about. One, I would say exercise. This is weird. Again, think of a physical parallel. Most of us, the life that we live doesn't require any great exercise of faith. And therefore, our faith is not really that strong because we don't need it to be. We just don't need it to be. It's not that hard to be a Christian in Marietta. It's just not that difficult, which is fine. But nobody's throwing us in jail. Nobody's losing their job. Nobody's getting beaten. There's no risk. And so for many of us, our faith is pretty weak. And so if you want your faith to be strengthened, just like if you want your body to be strengthened and your life is sitting in a car and then sitting in a chair and then sitting in a car and then sitting on a couch, you got to get to the gym or you got to get outside and run. You got to do something to use your muscles because your normal routine doesn't use them except for the finger that you push the buttons with. The same thing is true for most of us spiritually. Our spiritual life here in Marietta doesn't push us. We don't have to use very much uh, faith. Our, our spiritual muscles are not really engaged. And so then you, just like you have to set up a physical training program, I would say you've got to create a spiritual one. It's got to be intentional. What does that look like? Go somewhere. Just go somewhere. Be around people who aren't like you. There are places here in Marietta where, where you uh, can serve. That will stretch you spiritually. We take short-term trips every year. Go on one. If you can't afford it, all the more. That means you'll have to trust the Lord. Put yourself in a position where God has to come through or you're going to fail. When was the last time you did that? Probably when you were like 20 years old. It feels reckless. Put yourself in a position where you need God. Stretch your muscles. Worst thing that happens... You fail. Big deal. You fail falling forward. God loves the heart. Put yourself in some positions where you actually have to rely on him. And for most of us, our lives are so ordered and padded and shrink-wrapped and safety-netted. There's no place where we need him. And so our faith is, it's, it's not 
it's weak. It's flabby. And when you need it, when the crisis comes, it's weak. There's not much to draw on. Exercise. Pay attention. Again, that picture of the tunnel is great. Pay attention. It's difficult sometimes to discern the voice of God because it is the stillest and it is the quietest. And you got to discipline yourself to listen for it. you got to be willing to wait to hear Him. You want to keep in step with the Spirit. And so we need to pay attention to His voice. Jesus is always moving. Always. And if we're keeping in step with Him, we're always going to be moving as well. Kind of ties into the last thing, this idea of, remember, you've been given a mission. This is not just about your personal salvation. That's great. That's just the beginning. That's not the end. It's great that you've been saved from guilt and sin and death and however you would describe that, addiction or bondage. Whatever the specific things are that you would say Jesus rescued you from, praise the Lord. Do you know what he saved you for? He's calling you to partner with him in the establishment of his kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven. He's come to establish his rule and his reign. And he said, y'all need to help me with this. Not because he needs our help, but because he's chosen to work through his people. There's good works that he's created in advance for you to do. It's super easy in the Bible Belt to lose sight of the fact that there are thousands of people in our city that don't know Jesus. Hundreds of thousands of people in our county that don't know Jesus. Billions, billions of people in our world who don't know Jesus. Most people don't. You live in Marietta, you think everybody does. And it's not true. We get lulled into a false sense of security and a false sense of complacency, not only regarding our own spiritual vitality, but the spiritual condition of people around us. We lose sight of the fact that the majority of the people that we live and work and play and rub shoulders with are dead. They're dead. Don't hear that as guilt. That's opportunity and it's invitation and honestly it's some responsibility. It may be difficult, but it certainly is a boring. And he's asking you to wake up and to get involved. To exercise your spiritual muscles. To remember and to guard the fact that the spirit of the living God lives within you. He will lead you and he will empower you. Jesus says we'll do greater works in him. Not in kind, but in number. Why? Because there's more of us than there was of him. And you're a part of that. Let's take a minute and pray. I don't want to run too long. This is my question. I want you just to ask the Lord in your own heart. Is he, do you need to wake up? Do you need to wake up? Simple yes or no. There's only two choices. If you're justifying why you don't need to wake up, then you need to wake up. We're not creating two classes of people here. 
There's not better or worse. There's not good or bad. The reality of living in Marietta in the Bible Belt is we're all prone to falling asleep. It's part of the culture. We're lulled to sleep. And it happens to all of us at different times. And this just may be a time. And hear the kindness of God when he says, wake up. Be watchful. So if you're sensing that in your heart, again, there's, you don't need to feel guilty. You just need to repent. God, I acknowledge I've been falling asleep. I'm dozing off. I'm bored. I'm distracted. I'm out of shape. Maybe you're hurt. Would you forgive me? Would you remind me of what I've received and of what I've heard? Would you strengthen what remains in me so that I can hold fast to the reality of what it is to be a son or a daughter of the Father, to be commissioned by you in the power of your Spirit to do the good works that you've created in advance for me to do? Would you stir within me, plant within me a deep, deep compassion for the people in my life who don't know you? Would you fan into, the, into flame the, the flicker of the love that I have for you? I want to wake up. I want to be fully aware and alert and alive. And I recognize at times it may be difficult, but I know it will never be boring. Holy Spirit, would you stir our hearts this morning? People who've been Christians for just a few months and people who've been Christians for decades. People who right now are wondering, I don't know about Jesus. I'm not sure about all this. Would you stir each one of our hearts? Would you bring us to a place of repentance and faith? And again, would you impart to us a deep sense of purpose and compassion and love? In Jesus' name.